Well, hey, thanks for joining us right here online. I know today probably looks a little different if you're a regular online viewer. Uh, no fancy welcome, and we won't have a big fancy closing at the end. Uh, today, it's just me. It's just this conversation. It's just unpacking uh, the text and seeing what God's Word has for us today. So if you've been with us over the course of the last several weeks, what you've noticed is that we've been in a series titled I am. And the hope and the heart behind this series is that we've just been walking through these different I am statements from Jesus and seeing what he says about himself really and truly, right? If, if we want to know how we should see Jesus, we should probably consult Jesus on that topic. And so uh, in the Gospel of John, he has these I am statements and he's been laying them out for us. And so the last couple of weeks, we've gone over the fact that Jesus says, I am the bread of life. I am the light of the world. I am the gate, the good shepherd. And really what Jesus is saying is, yes, I am these things, but on the front end of every statement, it's prefaced with that phrase, I am. And when you look back in your Bible and you look back in the book of Exodus and you see God reveal himself to Moses, he says, Moses, here's who I am. I am God. I am the one true God. I am the creator, the sustainer of all things. I am the one that's going to lead you people out of the wilderness. I am God. And so Jesus shows up on the scene and says, hey, hey, hear me. I am the same as my father. I and the father are one. And here are the things that you have access to when you have access to me. I am all of these things truly. And I love that, right? I love that we've been seeing that. I think it's been opening our, our eyes to some new pieces, some new conversations to Je- uh, about Jesus to Jesus, right? To see some of what he wants us to see in himself. And so hopefully over the last couple of weeks, you've been taking notes and you've got to see pieces of Jesus that maybe you haven't seen before. You've got to see what he really wants for you and what he really wants you to understand about himself. Today is not going to be much different. Today we're going to dive right in and we're going to look at a different I am statement from Jesus. It's actually several statements wrapped up into one, but we'll get there. Now, uh, another thing that we've been saying over the course of the last couple of weeks is really to understand some of these I am statements, we have to be able to put on our Jewish uh, goggles, right? We have to be able to see what's going on, who Jesus is talking to, what they understand him to mean in a lot of these conversations. And I think a big piece to that is also understanding just how your Bible works, right? For us, we open our Bibles and we see uh, book names and then we see chapter breakdowns and we see even further verse breakdowns, right? And what I think we don't always remember, or maybe you've never understood in the first place, is that your Bible wasn't originally written that way, right? It was one letter, or it was one gospel, or it was one poem written, and a lot of times, even the first century church would just open it up, and they would just read it as that one letter. They would just read that one gospel aloud, and they would just walk all the way through it. But for us, we, we kind of take a little bit of a different approach, right? We have those chapters and we have those verses, and it's a great way uh, for us to cite sources and be able to go and reference certain things. But I think it's important for us to understand just how the original audience got these books, because when we do that, I think it sheds lights on uh, a light on stories like we're going to see in the book of John today. So today we're going to be in John chapter 14, but remember, no chapters, no verses. And so this is really just a follow-up conversation from chapter 13. And so I want to kind of lay out the scene in chapter 13 real quick. In John chapter 13, here's what all has happened. Jesus has just gone around the room. He's just been sitting with his disciples and he's just said, hey guys, I want to wash your feet. And so he washes his 12 friends' feet and then he gets done and he's like explaining to them just why he washed their feet because Peter kind of wants to buck the system in this moment and say, hey, no, no, don't wash my feet. Right? I should be washing your feet. And, and Jesus says, no, 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 here's why I have done this. And he tells one of the very friends he just washed the feet of that he was going to betray him. Full, full pause, right? That also happens in chapter 13. 
Jesus washes people's feet, and then he tells all his friends in the same room, he says, okay, now that we've done that, here's what I need you to know. I need you to know that somebody in the room is going to betray me. Obviously, we know in hindsight, right, he's talking about Judas, but all the other disciples didn't know that. And so there's like, wait a minute, what's going on? Also, don't want you to miss that Jesus knew Judas was going to betray him, and it did not stop him from washing his feet. Another sermon for another day, but don't miss that in chapter 13. That's so good. Uh, There's probably a lot for us to unpack there, but again, for a different day, right? So he tells them, hey, I've done all this, but, but here's the deal. One of you guys is going to betray me. And then at the end of that chapter, the conversation kind of concludes with, with Jesus saying, okay, I'm going to go. And Peter says, I want to follow you. I'll follow you anywhere. And Jesus says, no, you won't. In fact, before the rooster crows, what you're going to do is you're going to deny me three times. Chapter 13 is loaded. Jesus washes their feet. He tells them Judas is going to betray them. And then he tells Peter he's going to deny him three times. And then we roll right into chapter 14. And what does Jesus do? Jesus, in the same conversation, the same setting, the same scene, after he's just told him that Peter, probably the most loyal of the disciples, the most outspoken, almost kind of their ringleader, right, is going to betray him. One of them, or is going to deny him. One of them is going to betray him. He says this in, verse, in chapter 14, verse 1, don't let your heart be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. Okay. All right, uh, Jesus, you just told us that one of us in the room is going to betray you for whatever that means, right? Jesus, you just got done telling the most outspoken, loyal guy in the group that he's going to deny you three times, and you're telling me, don't let my heart be troubled? You're telling me just just relax, everything's going to be all fine? I, I don't understand, Jesus, how are you doing that. You want me to do that? You want me to not be troubled? You want me to relax? You want me to be okay? Okay, how? How are we supposed to do that? How are we supposed to overcome our fears, our anxieties that you just left us with, Jesus? How are we supposed to do that? Jesus gives them the answer in the back half of that verse, right? He says this. He says, believe in God, believe also in me. Jesus says, here's how you cannot be troubled. Here's how you can lean in. Here's how you can have faith in me. Here's how you can overcome these things. It is by faith in me. By faith. Believe in God. Believe also in me. By faith. That's how you will overcome. That's how you will get over the anxieties. That's how you will get over the stresses. That's how you will get over the insecurities by just believing in me. Have faith. Have faith in me. That is how you will overcome. Have faith that I will continue to be who I've said I am up to this point. Have faith that I will continue to be the guy that you've seen do miracles over and over and over again. Have faith that the person I've been is the person I'm going to be. And what he's really saying is have faith that the God I have shown you I am is the God I will continue to be. So he says, here's the deal. You want to overcome. You want to not be troubled. Here's how. Just have faith. Believe that I will be who I say I am going forward and believe that me and the Father are one. If you can do that, you can put your faith in the right place, you can believe in me, then your hearts won't be troubled. Then you'll understand that everything has a plan and everything has a purpose, regardless of whether you like the outcome or not. Jesus is saying, just have faith in me. But then he gives them three truths to take hold of, right? Let's keep reading that. He says, in my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you. 
that I'm going to prepare a place for you? If I go away and prepare a place for you, I will come again and take you to myself so that where I am, you may be also. You know the way to where I'm going. So check this out. Jesus gives them three truths in the verses following. The first one is this. Jesus is not just simply going away, but he's going away to his father's house. And the whole reason he's going away to his father's house is to prepare a place for them. So he's saying, hey, don't let your hearts be troubled. Have faith in me. Here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to prepare a place for you so that you get to be with me forever. Here's how you can have some peace about the stuff that's about to happen. Here's how you can have some peace about the things that I've just told you all about. Just have faith in me because where I'm going and when I go away, I'm going to my father's house and the whole reason I'm going is to prepare a place for you. And then he says he's coming back. Then he says, have trust. Put that faith here in me. Have trust that I am not just going to prepare a place for you, but I'm coming back to get you. I'm coming back to get you and I'm coming back to bring you with me after I have prepared a place for you. I'm coming back for my own. He tells him, just rest assured, I am coming back. The person I'm preparing a place for is you and I am coming back for you. I'm not going to leave you hanging. And then he finishes with this. He says, you know the way to where I'm going. That's the third thing he gives them assurance on, that they know, to, they know the place he's going to. But it doesn't seem like that, right? Because when you read the very next verse in verse five, Thomas says this, he says, Lord, we don't know where you're going. How can we know the way? And I love Jesus' response. He says, you do know the way because you know me. Here's how he says that in verse six. Jesus told them, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you know me, you also know my Father. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. And so Jesus says, you do know the way. Thomas says, well, what, what is the way? How am I supposed to know the way? And Jesus says, here's the deal. If you know me, you know the way. Because I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. There's our I am statement for the week, it's kind of three wrapped into one. And when you unpack it, it makes a lot of sense. Jesus is saying, hey, you know the way to the Father. I am the way. And then he tells him, if you've seen me and you have been seeing me, then you should know that you've seen the Father. And if you know me, you know that you've seen the Father. And so here's the deal. You can know where I'm going. You can know how to get there by just knowing me. I am the way. And I think there's a couple of things to note there, right? He says, hey, I am the only way. He's claiming divinity again to his disciples, saying, no, I am the only way to get access to the Father. They know that's a messianic claim, right? He's saying, I am this guy. I am God in the flesh. I am the way that you're going to get access to the Father. And then he gives them these two complimentary statements, almost on the other side of him saying, I am the way. He says, I am also the truth. I am also the life, and that is how you can trust that I am the way. The fact that I am the truth, the fact that I am the life, they both speak to the reality that I am the way, that I am the Messiah, that I am the only one. That's how you can know. It's almost like this confident reassurance, this affirmation that when he says, I am the way, he means it because they know he's the truth. They know he's the life, and he's saying, here's the deal. I'm the way, 
These two things speak to that, and that's how you can know where I'm going. That's how you can get there. And don't forget, right, our Jewish lens is on today, right? He's talking to these Jewish friends of his, and and these guys he's talking to, they know Jewish custom, and they know Jewish law well. They knew this statement that he just made, I am the way, has a rich Old Testament background, right? When you look in the Old Testament, you look at uh, the Second Temple literature, right, some of those Jewish literatures, the ways of truth, quotes, is a life lived in conformity with the law. So he's saying, hey, I am the way. I I am the one true fulfillment of the law. There's no blemish in me. I have done all of this the right way. This is how you can get to the Father, by trusting in me, not by keeping it yourself. And so they're hearing him say that, and they're like, wow. He's making the claim that that he has got all of this stuff together. He he has fulfilled the way of, of truth. He has lived that. And what they also know is this, that way and life are frequently put together in the Old Testament wisdom literature as well. The way as personalized in Jesus was a way of suffering and of triumph through humiliation. So Jesus is saying, I am the way, that is true. Those two things are combined. I am, I am the way, I am the truth, and you're going to watch it in the way that I live. You're going to get to see the reality, and what that reality is going to do is it's going to grant you access to life. When you see the life that I have lived, when you see how I have handled this, when you see how there has been no blemish in me, then you will believe in me and you will have access to life as well. Isn't it fascinating though? Because there's kind of a paradox here, right, that, that I don't want us to miss because I think it's interesting, I think it's helpful, I think it's insightful, I think you see the cleverness and the sovereignty of God in this paradox. Isn't it fascinating that the man who claimed to, claimed to be the way was put to death by way of a cross? Isn't it fascinating that the man who claimed to be the truth is about to be put to death on the backs of lying witnesses? People are saying, he's a blasphemer. We've seen this. We've experienced this. He's not not real. He's not true. He's not actually God, right? The the truth is going to experience death because of lies. Isn't it fascinating that the man who claimed to be the life would soon be lying lifeless for three days? Do you see the paradox? Do you see the tongue-in-cheek? Do you see the sovereignty of God over that? that there's, some, there's some interesting things at play here where God says, yeah, 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 here's the deal. All of these things are true, and all of these examples will not hold him back. In fact, they will just further affirm who he is because God does not stay dead. He does not stay lifeless for three days. On the backside of those three days, you see Jesus come back to life as the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. That's the beauty of of the gospel. That's the beauty of that paradox. You see him not stay there. You see him conquer death, hell, and the grave. He says, no one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus says, it's me and it's me alone. It's nobody else. It's no good works. It's no other religion. It is exclusive. It is exclusive in that it is me and me alone, but it is inclusive. It is inclusive in that it is for you and me. Yes, it is exclusive because there's Jesus and Jesus only, but it's inclusive because this grace, this death on the cross, the wearing of sin that you and I deserve, it is for everyone. The beauty of it all is when we see and understand Jesus as he says he is, when we believe him and our salvation is granted, he doesn't just kind of save us. He doesn't almost save us. He doesn't moderately save us. No, his work was full and complete. He completely saves us because his character is complete. There's no partiality here. There's no, you earn a little bit of it, he gives a little bit of it. No, it is the complete 
work of Jesus because of who he is that's granted to you. He completely saves us. Check this out in these three statements. You see this. As the way he's lived rightly, he has no blemish. He is the perfect sacrifice to satisfy the wrath of the Father. He is the perfect sacrifice to satisfy your sin and your brokenness. And so as a believer of the way, how we live reveals what we believe about the way, right? Because he is perfect. He is spotless. He has done that. He is the way. He has lived rightly with no blemish. And so for us, as we experience salvation, as we understand, man, I've been saved completely, we should have this innate desire to honor that. We, have, we should have this, this, this calling, this burden, this conviction on our life that says, God, you have shown me how to live, and then you have taken my place. So God, I want you to purge sin from my life. I just want to pursue you. I just want to trust you. I just want to chase after you. Do we do that? Do we strive? Do we strain? Do we, do we, do we try to see past the mundane, or, or do we just pursue those things? Where are we at when we understand that Jesus is the way? He has no spot, no blemish in him, and so as believers of the way, we should strive for the same thing. As the truth, right? He didn't just speak truth. Jesus was truth. He's right theology lived out because all theology points to Jesus. Jesus is the truth. There's no, there's no lie in him. There's no partially true theology in him. He is the culmination of God. He is the culmination of the Father. He is perfect. He is truth. He doesn't just speak truth. He is truth. And what we believe manifests in how we live. Do we believe Jesus fully for who he is? Do we believe in, 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 in how he wants us to see him? Do we see him the way he wants us to see them? That's probably the most eye-opening part about the series is Jesus says, here's who I am. Do you see me that way or do you see me some other way? Do you see me the way somebody else wants to see me? Do you see me uh, the way some other ideology wants to see me? Do you see me the way your preference wants to see me? Or do you just see me for who I am? And if you do, how does that translate? Do you live the way that you're supposed to live after you see me the way that you're supposed to see me or not? The way, the truth, and then the life. And as the life, he's going to be with the Father forever and death will not have victory. She says, I am the way. I have lived rightly. It has been me. I am the truth. There's no blemish in me. I, I am God in the flesh and then I am the life. He's going to be with the Father and death will not have victory over him. He will be alive. Yes, he was in the grave for three days. Yes, he was lifeless for three days, but he did not stay there. And when he left earth, he left in ascension, not through death a second time, but because God called him up and he went to be with the father. And that's what Jesus is saying. We will get to experience, right? This is what, it is what we get to experience with Jesus. The same way when he tells Peter, you will be there eventually. And that should stir something in us, right? That should, that should call us, that should compel us, that should stir us to right living, to right passion, to right, right posture toward people and God. And, and all three of these things, they have a name, right? When you look, at, when you look throughout the history of the early church, we, we've kind of put some labels on some of these things. And the, the three labels here are orthodoxy, orthopraxy, and orthopathy. Orthodoxy, right? What is that? That's that faithful teaching, those right beliefs. That is true belief. That is believing that right theology is good, that we shouldn't just skew it, that we should see Jesus the way he wants to be seen, and that everything we do starts with an understanding, a right belief of him. And then there's orthopraxy, 
right? And that's that faithful action. That's that if this is true, then it requires something of me. If this is true about him, then it demands something of me. If it's true about him and I'm his follower, then my life should be different, right? This is how I live. This is faithful action, orthopraxy. And then there's that third one, orthopathy, faithful affection. This one's, this one's kind of tricky because when I say the word affection, what you're instantly probably drawn to are emotions and feelings. And, and in one sense, you should be stirred. You should be compelled. You should have this desire to worship Jesus on a Sunday morning. You should have a desire to worship him when you're in your car or when, when you see him move in your life. There should be a desire to do that, not because of anything he's done recently, but just because of what he's done on the cross, just because he's granted you salvation. There should be a affection for that. There should be some emotions stirred when you understand the God of the universe loved you in that way. But really, orthopathy doesn't mean that uh, everyone must have to experience certain feelings. It means Christians have a character which consists of holy temper, such as love for God and neighbor, faith, hope, peace, humility, and, and these other fruit of the Spirit. And, and really and truly what Wesley calls in, in one of his sermons the marks of a new birth. Right? That's what this affection is. It's this it's this different posture. It's the fact that you were dead in your trespasses and sins, and now you're alive and you're a new creation. And with a new creation comes a new calling and a new understanding of how we love God and how we love the people around us. Is that you? Do you have that posture? Do I have that posture? Are we, are, are we full of churches with people that have that posture or not? Because a right understanding of Jesus when he says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life, or a right understanding of all three of these things, and they compel us to something different. Do we have that? If you look at your life right now, and, and you say, wow, Jesus has fully saved me, complete in salvation. I should be experiencing these things. Are you? Are we? Are our churches experiencing those things, or are they full of people who are just wildly complacent? From your mouth, does there flow right teaching? Is it right beliefs? Is it, is it the truth of God's word, or is it just whatever we feel, whatever culture says? I'll take some of this and some of that. And then with our life, and our actions, are they reflecting actions the Father desires of you? Are you able to love your spouse the right way when nobody else is looking? Are you able to treat people who have wronged you the way the Father says to treat those people? Are you able to love people in spite of who they are or what they've done? Are you, are you living in a way that is holy and blameless? Are you pursuing holiness? Are you pursuing it with the way that you live, with the way that you talk, with the way that you act? Are we are we doing these things? Because these are the marks of what it looks like to lean into the fact that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. This is who he's saying he is. And so as followers of his, we should have a different posture altogether. We have a different calling altogether. That doesn't look like the world, but it looks like Jesus. And he said, here's how that should look. I am the way, the truth, and the lives, and the life. And when Jesus tells disciples these three things, he's simply telling them, I save. I save now. I save later. I save completely. I save fully. I save with an eternal scope that you don't yet understand and can't grasp. But, but Jesus is saying, I am the Savior of the world. And here's where salvation is found. It is found in me, in me alone. And so maybe for the last 20 minutes, you just got done uh, hearing me talk to Christians really and truly asking if they hear those things, if they see those things, if they believe those things, if those things are true in their life. But maybe this morning you found us online and you're not a Christian. Maybe this morning you found us online and you're just a little more curious about Jesus than you had been in the past. And so you just decided to, to stay a little bit longer. I want you to hear that. I want you to hear that Jesus saves completely. That in your brokenness, 
when lies are trying to reign supreme, he is the truth. That when it feels like you're overwhelmed by the thought of death or depression or anxiety, that he is the life. And that when you're not sure what it looks like to spend an eternity with God or, or some abstract idea of God, Jesus is saying, hey, it's me. That God you're searching for is me. I am the way. I am the one that will give you access to the Father. Maybe that's you for the first time. Maybe, you, maybe you're just hearing that and you didn't understand uh, just what Jesus is saying when he says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. This morning, I want you to hear that the dumbed-down version of that is that Jesus saves, and he wants to save you. He wants to save us once and for all. He wants to save us daily from those things that we struggle with and the things that we have not relinquished over to him. But the reality is that Jesus, when he says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life, is he saying, I am here to save you from your sin. I am here to save you from everything that is present. I am here to save you for eternity. I am here to save you, to justify, to justify you, yes, to make sure that you are justified before the Father, but also so that you can experience the fruits of justification, so that you can experience the fruits of what it looks like to spend relationship with the Father. It's a phenomenal place to be. If you have questions about that, I want to encourage you, reach out to us, ask us what it looks like to take a next step in, in having a follow-up conversation. Usually, uh, there's questions, right, when you hear things like this, and they're spoken in absolute. We have a lot of questions, and so we want you to reach out, find our contact, us uh, card on the website. We would love to answer any questions that you might have, but for you, um, Christian listening as well, I want you to hear that when Jesus says, I save, I'm the way, the truth, and the life, it requires something different of us too. So the challenge this week is search your own heart, Ask God to join you in that. Ask God to reveal things and start to posture yourself in a way that is worthy of the guy who says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. God, thanks that you're just revealing things to me in scripture uh, over and over and over again throughout this series. God, thanks that I'm getting to see pieces of your character that, um, that, that maybe I haven't seen in a long time or God, maybe I haven't seen clearly. And so Father, this morning, uh, I pray that you would just be with the same ears that are listening on the other side of a screen. I pray that you would reveal yourself to them, God. I pray that you would make yourself known in a right way, God. I pray that there would be no competition uh, with, with false ideologies, with false thoughts. And God, I pray that you would just show them that, that in you being the truth, in you being the life, means that you are the way and you are the only way to the Father, God. I pray that you would work on hearts this morning. We love you. We praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, thanks for joining us. Um, I know normally we have a nice little closing and it'll kick to somebody else here, but uh, I wanted to say this is just really a snapshot of who we are at the Orchard, and it's just a little picture uh, being here online. If you want a full picture, you can join us at one of our four locations. I know we have location pastors uh, at all four locations who would love to shake your hand, get to know you a little bit better, uh, and we have some really awesome people at all four locations as well uh, who would love to get to know you. And, and maybe as you do that, you dive in and, uh, and you see what it's all about. You get an honest reflection of who we are. But I wanted to let you know this morning, this is just a snapshot of who we are, and we would love to have you take us up on a full experience with us at the Orchard. Can't wait to see you guys next week.